Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. It is great to have the Yoakums with us. And I've said this before. I said that Jimbo's an old friend of mine. Well, he's really a young friend of mine. I'm the old one in this equation here. He's a young friend of mine. I knew his family, okay? So, like, we're connected that way, way back. And Jimbo and Jesslyn, wonderful people from Menden, Louisiana, a preacher of the gospel, uh, powerful couple. And I want to invite Jimbo to come up right now and just to take his liberty. Bethesda kids, you can go with your Bethesda teachers and guides and overlords. Jimbo, preach the gospel, brother. Great to have you. Give it up for the Yokums. Come on, let's give it to Jesus. Oh, we can do better than that for Jesus. God, I love you. I worship you. I give you glory and honor. You're the one true living God, Jesus. There's nobody like you, Lord, in all the earth. None besides you. There'll be none before you. There'll be none after you. Jesus Christ, you're the one true living God. And I love you today. Do you love the Lord today? Amen, amen. So good to be here in Bethesda Church with the Hills, people that I've known my entire life. My grandparents were very good friends with uh, Brother Donovan's parents up in Bossier. So I've known him for longer than I've known anybody else, I reckon. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, in the beginning there was Donovan. <laughs> or as I call him, Poppy Don. I've called him Poppy Don for years and years. Uh, so good to be here and just... Uh, have my, huh? What? Oh, that might stick, yeah. Poppy Don uh, and Sister Valerie. <laughs> Don't play with her. Um, have my wonderful, beautiful wife, Jesslyn, with me and uh, unknown baby number three. Yep. We don't know what it is yet. People say, What are you having? I'm like, A human. <laughs> what do you, what do you mean, what am I having? Like, oh, it's an elk. <laughs> Didn't know. Went for the ultrasound. And, was <laughs> and then babies one and two, Zion, Jude, and Addie are at Pop and Darlin's house, so thank them for keeping them. Otherwise, I'd have been paying for remodel number two down here. <laughs> uh, but it's good to be in the house of the Lord. I, I have a word for someone this morning. Uh, I was praying and seeking the Lord and and. He gave me a word, and, and it's for somebody. It might, it might apply to you, and you might, it might help you out, but, but there's, some, there's a person here this morning that this is for. And you've been wondering why you can't hear God's voice and, and why God doesn't talk to you, and, and you're in a very dark place, and you're just trying to figure it out. And God wants you to know he is talking to you, and this is for you. So if you came in this morning with kind of a, a one-more-chance spirit, this is you. This one's for you. So let's jump directly into the word of the Lord, the gospel of Genesis. Uh, the word gospel means good news. Genesis seems like some pretty good news to me. Uh, so the gospel of Genesis chapter 1. Uh, I told him verse 4, but I'm just going to quote verse 3 as well. In the beginning, or uh, it starts off with in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 3 said, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And that's a pretty good thing. Uh, in the so in the beginning, God created heavens and earth. Earth is out, form and void. God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. In verse four, we're picking up, and God saw the light. God saw the light. 
Hank Williams wrote that song. Don't know if you know that, but he did. <laughs> yeah, fun fact for you. <laughs> so when when your uh, elder parents are like, I'm letting all that worldly music, be like, you know who wrote? I saw the light. <laughs> and God saw the light and uh, that it was good. God saw the light that it was good, and He divided the light from the darkness. And the light He called day, and the evening, or in the darkness He called night, and the evening, and the morning. Were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Psalms 18, or 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. I want to preach this morning on this thought. The day the Lord made. The day the Lord made. Father, I love you so much. I'm so thankful for this wonderful group of people and for your word. I pray you're known and be upon me. Let me simply be a microphone of heaven, amplifying your voice to your people. God, I pray that you would change someone's life today, the trajectory of their life, God, their family, by extension, the generations to come. God, I pray that today would be a landmark moment in someone's life, a day that you impacted them. We'll give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to neighbor as you're seated and say, the day the Lord made. It takes approximately 24 hours for the earth to, to rotate once on its axis as it barrels around the sun at 27,000 miles an hour. That really 23 hours and 56 minutes. The extra four minutes we collect every four years to add up to February 29th leap year. There you go. That's where that comes from. So 23 hours, 56 minutes for the earth to rotate on its axis, the extra four minutes of each day collectively add up every four years to one extra day called leap year. Within those 24 hours, there are 1,440 minutes, 86,400 seconds, and that is what we call a day, one day. We start our days often with the alarm clock or a screaming kid, depending where you are in life, jolting you from your slumber, bringing you to attack the day. You immediately go about your morning routines, probably some point involving a coffee pot and a prayer that you can just make it through the day. You get dressed, get kids dressed, get off to school, get off to work, and then at the end of the day, you come home and you end your day. That is often what our day looks like, but that is not the day the Lord made. The day the Lord made is distinctly different from that which we have interpreted in the way we attack our lives every day. We viewed the day to begin with a majestic sunrise with the spectrum of colors dividing the skies with pinks, purples, oranges, and yellows. A beautiful day. And then we sing songs like we sang today that His mercy is made new every morning. And so we think that God gave us mercy for that day because He made it new every morning. But that's not the day the Lord made. The day the Lord made, He said, and the evening and the morning were the first day, and that the light was divided from the darkness. You see, the day the Lord made begins with darkness. The day God made does not, end, does not begin with sunrise and end in darkness. No, the day that is called your life begins in darkness and is meant to end in light. For the Bible says that he draw you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The way your life begins, you're born into sin and shaped in iniquity. We are born sinners. No one teaches you to lie, steal, or cheat. You kind of figure it out on your own. 
this thing called flesh entices you to go against God. The Bible says the carnal mind is at enmity with God and is not subject to God's laws, neither indeed can be. It's this thing called humanity that strives and attacks and moves against God's word, God's principles, and God's precepts. That is your default mechanism, and that is the darkness of life. You are, when you are born and begin growing up into a, a teenager and eventually a young adult into an adult, you are walking in a life of spiritual darkness because that's the day the Lord made. God has always revealed himself with contrast. He has always shown himself with a, uh, on a spectrum to distinguish himself from the things which he is not. Most of the time, God shows you the things that he is by showing you first the things that he is not. He shows you first who he is not, and that way you can distinguish the things that he is. Abraham or Moses stood before a burning bush and said, who, who am I and who are you? And he said, I am that I am. He simply said, this is me and this is not me. How is it that we can find ourselves in God-ordained treachery and God-ordained darkness? We oftentimes attribute the darkness to the, to the devil, that this is his realm and his world, and that the darkness, the dark things you see around you are a product of Satan and under his control and authority and jurisdiction. But only the creator can have authority and jurisdiction over the creation. In order to, to have power over something, you must have taken part in its creation. That's why parental rights are so strong. The law says that, uh, that a parent's right, the right of a parent, is paramount and protected constitutionally because you took part in the creation, so you should take part in the raising. You took part in the creation, so guess what? That's your baby, your problem. I don't know if, if Poppy Don told you, but I'm an attorney. And so if you or someone you love is injured in a car wreck, please call. I pay tithes and give demissions. I have people come in my office sometimes like, how am I going to pay for all this child support? Like $900, three kids. I'll give you a lot more than that to take care of my three kids all month. What do you, well, here's the but. Here's the, I'm, I'm not, and I tell them, I'm not saying there's not a problem. I'm saying it's not my problem. I didn't, I didn't take part in the creation, buddy. You did. So that's your jurisdiction. And so we have this mentality that there's good versus evil. God versus the devil. The let's get ready to rumble mentality of Armageddon that there's finally going to be this face off between God and the devil. That, that, that finally we're going to have this, this big battle royale. But the devil is not God's adversary. In order to be an adversary, you must be an equal opponent on an opposite end of the spectrum. God has no adversary. No one's ever been in his weight class. No one's ever stepped up to the scales with him. The devil tried it once, and Jesus said, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. It took the speed of lightning, 528,000 miles per hour is how quickly that God reminded the devil that you are not in my weight class. And the Bible says that your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil is not God's adversary. He is your adversary. You must battle him and overcome him. You must do these things. And so we have this mentality that God is of the light and the devil is of the darkness. And the two will have this, this, this triumphant battle in the end. But the devil does not have power over darkness. Because the devil did not make darkness. The devil didn't make anything. 
I don't know about that. I, I, that's not kind of what I think. I, I watched Harry Potter, and there was the, the Dark Lord, and he was kind of the, and he who should not be named. This ain't Harry Potter. This ain't Hogwarts Pentecostal Church. You would probably get some very interesting characters if you renamed it that. Maybe you'd go down the road like, Hogwarts. Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to tell a story of myself. I was uh, trying, a, last year I was trying a murder case. I'm, I, I prosecute felonies as well. And so I'm picking the jury. The jury uh, process is called voir dire, which is, is, uh, is how you pick, you, the part where you question all the jurors. And there's this guy. And he is probably 33 years old, and I, I have him on my list. I know who, you know, I, know, I have his name, his address, and his, his uh, age. That's all the information I get of him beforehand. And he's in, like, an anime T-shirt and jogging pants and long, greasy, disheveled hair and just, you know, I, 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 I guarantee his mom's address also matches his address. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm picking my jury, and I, you know, I, Mr. Smith, right? I say, Mr. Smith, um, you know, the, do you understand the law says that, that, that someone is basically cloaked with the presumption of innocence? Yeah, yeah. And I said, so as Mr. So, as Mr. Uh, as the defendant sits here today, right now he's, he's presumed innocent. Do you understand that? Yeah. And, and I said, well, where, do you, uh, where, do you, where are you from? He said, I'm from here. How long have you lived there? Oh, my whole life. I said, oh, you've lived in the same house your whole life? Yeah. And I was like, I knew it. Uh, this is where it gets bad. And so I said, well, um, you know, I said, well, you look about the same age as me and growing up. They had all the Harry Potter books. Do you remember the, the uh, visibility cloak that went over? So that's kind of how the, the, uh, the presumption of innocence is. You understand that? And he goes, I've never seen Harry Potter. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and my, the judge texts me. He said, you just called that dude a nerd. And he, <laughs> and he just shook you off. And I got back and I told my secretary, if that guy has never watched Harry Potter, it's because he doesn't think it's very lifelike. <laughs> He's like, that's not how it really is at Hogwarts. <laughs> we have this mentality that the darkness is the realm of the devil. But Isaiah 45 says like this. He says in verse, four, in verse 3, he talks about the treasures of darkness. He's talking about the king and how God's going to reveal to him the treasures of darkness. But in Isaiah 45 and 7, he said, I create light. And I create darkness. I, the Lord, do all these things. And then he said, I create good. And I create evil. I, the Lord, did all God created darkness and God created evil. These are creations of God. What you must understand is that if God were not the creator of them, then he would not have, by default, authority and jurisdiction over them. But he placed a system into order that allows you to choose whether or not you want to serve him. And in order to have a choice, there must be an alternative. And as I mentioned before, he reveals himself in contrast. And so in order to show you what he is, he must first show you what he is not. And so he creates darkness and he creates evil for the sole purpose of showing you and revealing to the world what option number two is and that he is not option number two. That's the day the Lord made. 
The day the Lord made started in darkness without rhyme nor reason. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness set upon the face of the deep. And then the Spirit of God moved across the waters and so God begins His creation process and, and he begins to form and create. But you have to understand this very simple yet profound principle. That from the beginning, God always worked in darkness. He works the night shift. Darkness sits upon the face of the deep. He's getting everything prepared. In the beginning, God creates heaven and earth. And earth without form and void. It's empty. And darkness is face of the deep. And he goes, okay, now my spirit can move. I got emptiness and I got darkness. That is an environment for me to work in. And so without emptiness and darkness, God does not really feel comfortable moving. That's not how he does things. All throughout the word of God, Moses, I want to see your face. No, you can't see where I am, but I'll let you see my hinder parts. Hide your face in the cleft. Moses, get into a dark place. Hide your face in a cave where it's dark. And I'll pass by and I'll show you where I've been. Moses, you want to see where I move? You got to find somewhere dark first. You got to see that, that I oftentimes work when no one's moving. Because you cannot observe me move and work. God does not permit you to learn how he does things by observation. Because the moment you feel like you can observe God, you then will feel like you can replicate the process. And you'll do what we always do and try and watch and learn and then repeat yourself. Watch and learn and repeat yourself. And so the more things we feel like we know about God and how God operates and how things work, the less and less we feel like we need God. The audacity of man to think that we just came from an accidental collision between atoms. That's the same likelihood of you walking up and finding a mansion on the beach and saying, well, driftwood must just collectively assembled together and made this 70,000 foot square mansion with these marble countertops and this electricity and Wi-Fi. It's a smart house. And you walk in and you say, lights on and lights come on like on Back to the Future 2. <laughs> and all this happened because some driftwood just washed up on the beach. The arrogance of man. But the problem is, is we begin to learn some things and we immediately thought this must have been us. We can do this. We can recreate life. We can do these things. And so God said, I'm never going to allow you to see my ways. My ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. I will always leave humanity in a place of ignorance and I will never, ever, ever let you observe me work. Because if I let you observe me work, you will feel like you can do what I do. I made that mistake once when I was up in heaven and, and, and Lucifer began to look at, look at me and kind of eyeball what I was doing. And at one point he decided he could do that himself. And he exalted himself up beside me and my sovereignty had to cast him back down. And so to prevent man from ever doing that, he's going to put you in this little capsule called time. And he's going to keep your eyes closed. And, and when you're not looking and when no one's around and things are the darkest in life, you better start to celebrate because that means God is creating an environment that he can work in. When you feel like you can't keep your head up and you can't see God and you can't find God and there's emptiness and darkness, baby, you ought to start to celebrate because all he's done is create an atmosphere that's conducive for him to work in. 
I want to work on you. That's fine. But I got I, I to gotta make a situation that I can work in. I can't, I can't work when you're looking at me. And, and I can't work when you can see everything. So I'm going to cover your eyes with some, some adversities and some trials and some tribulations. And I'm going to get you distracted by the things of this world. And, and I'm going to get you caught off guard by all this, the power and pressure you got upon you. You got anxiety and depression and things are weighing on you. And you look and you say, I'm surrounded by darkness. And God's saying, you better believe it because now I can work. I can, I can move when there's emptiness and darkness. This is the day that I have made. I made an evening and a morning, not a morning and a night. I said you got to go through night to get to daylight. I didn't say go through daylight to get to night. That's why my mercies are made new every morning because I have to put you in a situation where you realize you need mercy. It's not I give you mercy and that carries you through. It's that you have to endure the night and then you get the mercy. That's why the Bible says weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. If you want joy, you got to go through weeping. And if you want mercy, you got to go through a situation that lets you know I need mercy. We have a profound misunderstanding of the distinction between mercy and grace. Grace is you getting something that you don't deserve. Here's a check for a million dollars you didn't work for it. Grace. Mercy is the withholding of judgment. It's withholding something you do deserve. That means you are guilty, but they let you go anyway. That's mercy. And it comes new every morning. But to get to the morning, the day God made, he said, you got to go through the guilt phase where you know that you need mercy. you got to go through the darkness of life where you understand the profound, you get the profound appreciation of the fact that mercy is something you don't deserve, but God gives it to you anyway. How do you know you need mercy? It's simple. you got to go through sin and, and peril, and you got to go through the ups and downs of life. And as you begin to look around and say, my God, I can't make it, then he says, mercy. We think I get up every morning and have my cup of mercy, and that carries me through the day, but that's not the day the Lord made. The day the Lord made, he divided the light from the darkness. He started off, he said, first must come the darkness of life. And as you go through the darkness of life and you begin to realize that you can't see or understand or comprehend, then you get mercy. That's the day the Lord made. You have five senses. But do you realize people are afraid of the dark and it only deprives you of one? You can plug your ears and be fine. You can get COVID and not be able to taste the peanut butter and it's all right. You can sit on your hand and get, get, get numb, and it's just kind of annoying. But you deprive someone of sight, and their whole world shuts down. Whew. All of a sudden, they're disoriented. They can't figure out where they are, where they're going, what's going around them. Why is it that darkness is such a fear in man when it only deprives you of one thing, sight? But the Bible says, in John, the third chapter, Jesus tells Nicodemus that you must verily, verily say, man, you must be born again or you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. How can a man be born again? Should he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Verse 4, now in verse 5, he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, unless a man is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom. Until you are born again, baptized and filled with the spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, you're in darkness. You are deprived of a sense, a spiritual sense of sight. That's why he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Encounter and see. You 
open your eyes into daylight when you come out of darkness. And it's at that moment that the whole church thing starts to make sense to you. Oh, that's why it's important to be a part, part of a body of believers. Oh, that's why I should pray and read my Bible. Oh, that's why I should dress a certain way and act a certain way and not say certain things or do certain things. Oh, that's why I should wait until I get married. All of a sudden, the things the world can't seem to see. Whew, darkness is gone when the light comes. But God always reveals himself in contrast. First, he births you into this life that is predisposed to sin and says, that's darkness. That's not me. And then at some point, he divinely in, in, orchestrates an encounter where you bump into him and he goes, that's light. That is me. You ever walk out of a dark room into the daylight and it's just, that's God saying, that's me. That's what you see. That's, that's my that's my end result. But you can't see that until I work. And I only work in the darkness. I don't know about that. That's fine. Why don't you go to the book of Genesis and read about Abraham when he was called Abram. And he didn't have a son. And he goes to God. He said, shall my servant Melchizedek, shall he be my heir? I don't have a child and I'm old. And the Bible says that God begins to talk to him and makes a covenant. He said, go and see the stars. Your children will be like the stars. I'm going to spread your seed all over the world. And the Bible says that, that he told him to sacrifice a couple of things. And then begin to see a lamp and a furnace go between the sacrifices once the sun went down. He told him what he was going to do. But in, in the book of Genesis, it says, and a great horror of darkness fell upon Abram. And a deep sleep came upon him. God put him to sleep and put him in a dark place and then made a covenant with him. He said, I'm going to put you in a coma. It's kind of like when you have surgery. You don't want to be awake for that, do you? I, I one time went to the dentist and the nurse came here and numbed up all this and the dentist came in and started drilling on this side. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, you just feel pressure, buddy. You're about to feel some pressure. Like to still stick that drill in your eyeball. Why? Because I didn't want to feel what was going on. I feel numb. I just can't seem to plug in. I feel like I can't feel anything. Let me tell you something. You don't want to feel what God's doing to you right now. You don't want to be a part of that. He's going to put a horror of darkness upon you. and Put you in a dark place. And let you be disengaged for a little bit. And as long as you don't start flip-flopping on the surgery table, it's going to be okay. But if you start interfering with the process, next time your mouth's all numb and the dentist doing his thing, why don't you reach up there and just grab his hand? <laughs> oh, I got this. No. You know. <laughs> because we understand that. But when God says, I need to do some things, we want to interfere with the process. Well, let's hurry it up. Come on, let's get on this. I got lunch to get to. You go in that heart surgery and say, all right, buddy, you got 15 minutes. <laughs> 30 minutes on Sunday morning, better get it done. No, you don't, you don't rush that. 
but yet we walk in here on Sunday morning and say, all right, preacher, you better get in and get out. And fix everything I messed up while you're at it. While I'm interfering. No, we have to learn to step back and say, okay, God. Yeah, it's dark. Yeah, I'm out of it right now. But I understand that all you've done is you've, you've created an environment that you work in. And that I can't be a part of except being willing. All I can do is introduce myself into that situation. And outside of that engagement, God has to do the rest. You cannot fix sin. You don't have the power to fix sin. The Bible says they looked to and fro on the earth for a man but could not find one to stand in the gap. So Jesus had to come. All you can do is engage, follow the directions of the physician, and then quit meddling as God works. I'm, it's so dark in my life. It's so deep. I can, it's a darkness I can feel. And the devil's attacking me. And I'm struggling. And I'm fighting. But nothing seems to be going on. And I'm praying against the darkness. And that's good. But you better step back and say, is it God darkness? Has God put me in a season to work on me? The psalmist David said, the bones that thou hast broken, O God, let them be made to rejoice. You mean God breaks bones? I was born with what's called hypothemic rickets, which makes your legs bowed. I had six surgeries on my legs as a child. And they would come in and break my legs and straighten them. And break them and put them in a cast. And break them again and put them. All the while, they're trying to make this into this. <laughs> Just kind of in between. And, and I, 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 it hurt. It didn't hurt less because it was necessary. You breaking your leg, jumping off the roof, hurt just as bad as me, them going in and breaking my leg with a saw. I had to wear the same cast, be on the same crutches. The only difference is, is, is one of them was intended to make me better and to straighten out the way I walk through life. And so a loving, caring physician went in and put me in, in a coma and broke my legs in three places and ran screws and saws into my flesh all because he was trying to help me. That's counterintuitive unless you are reconciled to and, and understand that there's an end result in mind, that we're going somewhere, that, that the pain is going somewhere. That the, the, the breaking of the bones is going somewhere. The Bible says all things work to the, towards the good of them that love them. It didn't say all things are good. It says they're working for the good. It might not be good, but it's going to be good. And you have to be comfortable and have enough faith to lay down on the table and say, God, break me and put me in a coma and put me in a dark place. And you do what you got to do, God, because I'm not the one that knows how to do it here. You are. That's the day the Lord made. It's easy to say, I'll rejoice and be glad in on the days that we call good days. The days with the checks and the mail and the, the, the job's good and you got the raise and kids are behaving and marriage is great. But, but that, that's fine and dandy. That's, that's the daylight. The darkness is when you can't see any of that. In the darkness is where your faith is developed because you're no longer relying on the ability to see and, and, then, and then determine whether or not good, God's good or not. Because as long as you're relying on your sight and the way you look at life, your 
faith and, and acceptance of God's goodness will always be completely dependent upon your circumstances. You will have circumstantial faith. And as long as everything's going good, then God must be good. But if things are going bad, then God, God must not be good anymore. And that's why people can say, well, if God's so good, how can there be so much evil in the world? That's the most ridiculous thing you've ever, I've ever heard in my life. The, the, the evil and genocide and disease, those are products of man. Man is inherently evil. God created the system and said, have at it, boys. And guess what? We did. And then we look at it and say, God, rah, rah, rah. And he said, I didn't do any of that. I'm not the one committing genocide on people. That's you. And we have, we, we rely on, on sight. We have sight-based faith. And as long as everything's good, we're good, and God's good. But as soon as darkness falls and we can't see it anymore, all of a sudden that faith starts struggling. All of a sudden you can't seem to believe like you did before. Why? Because you've been dependent on what you see this whole time. You never learned to live in the dark because you were, feel like you were born in the light. You started your day in daytime, and so night scares you. But that's not the day the Lord made. He designed you to endure darkness first. That way the light was, de was, was perceived as a privilege but not a necessity. It's God's grace and mercy, but I can make it through darkness if I have to because guess what? I've already been there. That's how I got to light. The Bible says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. It almost puts faith and sight as contradictions. That you got one, but not the other. You can walk by faith, or you can walk by sight, but you can't do both. And so walking by faith is walking in darkness. Walking by faith, by default, is walking without sight. That's called darkness. That's what faith is. Faith is the ability to serve and trust God in darkness that I can't see anything I have no perception I don't know where I'm going faith is God saying step and you step turn left and you turn left and you being comfortable with the fact that it's not because you see the Bible says the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's not a floodlight that chases away the darkness for a mile. It's just enough to kind of antagonize you to take a little bitty step. Amen. And that's God's word. Yeah. When you get into God's word, God's word will say stuff like, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Yeah. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. I, 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 I'll walk with you through the dark. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not in thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. And it's not illuminating everything in front of you. It's just enough for you to say, okay, God's going to catch this next step. I can't see anything. It's just a little bit of lamp. It's, it's a little bit of light into my, my footsteps, but, but it's just enough for me to say, okay, God, you're still here with me. You're still here with me. It's not, faith is not, oh, look how, what all God's done and I, I can believe now because God's done it. That's counterintuitive. That's you saying, if God does it, then I'll believe. No. It's not, you build the house, then I'll pay you for it. It's, I pay you and trust you'll build the house. And we, we think, oh, God's going to do all this stuff. And then I'll believe. And because he did all that, I'll have faith. No, faith is, faith is believing God in the absence of seeing the stuff.
and saying, God, I just believe. I just, I just believe. Micah, Micah verse, chapter 7, verse 8 says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemies, for when I fall, I shall arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. What he's saying is, don't start rejoicing because I fail and I'm in darkness. Because I understand that's just part of the day God made. I'm I'm good with don't start rejoicing yet, devil. But just because you see me sitting in darkness, guess what? I know that when I sit in darkness, it's going to happen. But that the Lord shall be a light unto me. That eventually he's going to step back. And reveal, pull back the curtains. And the morning's going to come. And God's going to say, look what I did in the darkness. And the, the, the blinders are going to fall off. And you're going to see this big, wonderful painting. And it's the whole time God was working. You couldn't see him. You were scared and terrified and hurting. And it, and it felt like someone was breaking you. And you couldn't understand it. But one day, you're going to look back and just, whew, oh, my God. He did that. When did he do that? Simple. It was in the darkness. Abraham, all of a sudden you got Isaac and you, you got Jacob and all the Jacob's sons and you got all this stuff. When did he do that? Well, it all started with the darkness. That's how God works. Grass grows in the darkness. That's why you walk up next morning and your grass is three feet tall. Why? Because all night God was just out there fertilizing it. It's just, that's how God works. You don't understand that, that you, you can't expect God to just, just do everything in front of you. No, he says, close your eyes and see what I can do. Joseph, I can do, uh, here's a dream, but you got some darkness to get through. You're, uh, the, the, the sun and the moon and the stars are going to bow down. See, that's great, but we got, a, we got a, a, a pit and a prison and exile and some dark times. But there's, there's coming a day. David, you're going to be king. <laughs> oh, but before you become king, Saul's going to chase you and try and kill you. You're going to have to live in caves for 17 years, and you're going to have to actually go live with the Philistines for a little while. What? Yeah, that's the darkness. Jonah, go to Nineveh. No, I'm not going. Okay, three days of darkness. The original cruise. Yeah. Carnival, right? Yeah, that's right. We must have been on the same boat. That's how God steps in and we we don't like that and we don't understand that but God has always done his best work in darkness that's the day of the Lord it's easy to say this is the day the Lord has made our rejoice and be glad and we quote that when the sun's coming up and the birds are chirping and singing the Cinderella Cinderella song and it's great but that's not the day God made God's day started in when the when the sun went down the evening and the morning were the first day the light was divided separated from the darkness God's day starts. And when his day ends, your day then begins. That's when you step in and come in and say, hey, I guess I'll take over from here. But before you ever can step into a place of what we would consider joy and peace and prosperity, these attributes that we we know are God, first God will make us be subjugated to the things that he is not. How can you know peace unless you first know turmoil? How can you know joy unless you first know depression and anxiety? How, how, how can you know healing until you endure disease and hardship? How can you know deliverance until you first know bondage? Those are things that God reveals himself to you in contrast. He shows you what he is by first showing you and letting you experience the things that he is not. 
And he is the light of heaven. And he lights up the world. And he is the most wonderful thing that you will ever, ever encounter. But first, to experience that, you must endure the darkness of humanity. And you must understand that God will cover you and darken you. And the whole time, he's working on you. And as we stand across the house and the musicians come. We want the day God made. We want God to step in and do his thing and move. And we want God to touch our hearts and our lives. But we don't want the darkness of God. We don't want the other side of God. We don't want the part that said, I created darkness. I, the Lord, did all these things. But if you want God to work in your life, you've got to be comfortable with closing your eyes and sitting back and saying, here I am. And going and, and saying, yeah, it's dark, and I can't see you move, and I can't see you work, and I can't see you do these things. But I know that you are. Like the song says, I've seen you move, I've seen you mountain, I've seen you move mountains. And I believe you can do it again. You know how you saw God move mountains? First, you had to encounter the mountain. Those are all testimonials or retrospect perceptions. You're looking back about where God brought you from. But for him to bring you through it, he must first bring you to it. And so you say, I've, I, I've, I've seen mountains move. And the reason I know he can is, is because he did before. The Bible says we're made overcomers by two things. The blood of the Lamb, which is what God did for us. And the word of our testimonies, which is what God did with us. You want to be an overcomer by the word of your testimony? You have to be willing to endure the darkness of life. And understand that that is just part of the day that God made. That God made that day for that reason. The worst day of your life, God made it. And if you'll let it, it'll have purpose behind it. If you'll, if you'll let him do what he does in the darkness, you'll have the best daylight you've ever seen. But if your daylight still feels like darkness, it's because you're not letting God do his thing. It's because you keep interfering and flipping and flopping and fighting. And there'll come a time when he'll, he'll either have to back off and leave you to your own devices or sedate you spiritually. We have to understand. I've seen some dark times in my life. I've seen some, some trying times in my life. And when I was there, I didn't see God. I didn't see him there. Do you know why? Because it was dark. I didn't see what God was doing. But looking back, I know that he was there. As the, the dawn came and the mercy came and, and the light began to reveal what was going on in the darkness, I began to see all the fingerprints of God. And it turns out he was there in the darkness the whole time. Because that was the day he made. He made it that way. Joseph's brothers trembled before him thinking that he was going to kill them because of what they did to him. But he told them, fear not, for God has done this thing that he might preserve life. What he was saying is, brothers, as I look back of all the darkness I've been over the last 20 years of my life, I now realize that God was working the whole time. God works in the darkness. And so if you want God to work on you, you have to be comfortable with being empty and being dark. Because that's when God moves. The greatest day of God's handiwork was on a hill called Golgotha. 
when the sins, the collective sins of humanity were finally being addressed by, by the atonement of the spotless blood of Jesus Christ. A man that never sinned. His, his blood had no sin in it. He was not born into sin and shape and iniquity because his dad was God. And they nailed him to a cross. And they pierced his side with a spear. They put a crown of thorns on his head. And in that moment, he looks up and says, Eli, Eli, Sakla habinii, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus, God manifest in the flesh, robed in, in, in flesh. He said, you've forsaken me. And God looks down in Luke 23. The Bible says, he said, he cried with a loud voice. I commend my spirit into your hands. And he gave up the ghost. But before that happened, it says about the sixth hour of the day that the sun was blotted out. And that darkness settled over the earth. And that in that darkness, the veil in the temple was split in half. It was rent twain. And the earth began to shake. And then he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me as darkness is covering Jerusalem and Golgotha's hill? And Jesus cries with a loud voice, I into, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. And the Bible says that the guards at the feet of the cross trembled. And one of them said that surely this was the Son of God. And that those that onlooked began to beat their chest. And in that moment, the sins of humanity were finally dealt with but it only could be done only could be done in darkness it was the middle of the day the sixth hour is noon the ninth hour is three o'clock so from twelve to three when Jesus is giving up his last breath on the cross whew, darkness and during that dark three hour period God bebops down from heaven and comes down the streets of Jerusalem, walks up Golgotha's hill, and Jesus says, I commend my spirit into your hands, and cries with a loud voice, It is finished! What is finished? The bondage of sin is finished. The, the inaccessibility of heaven is finished. The, the, the fact that they had to kill lambs and spotless goats and lambs and turtle doves, that's all finished! How do you do that? Simple. It was the middle of the day. Everybody else in the world was in daylight, it seemed like. But those in Jerusalem and those on Golgotha's Hill and those that were about to see God do the greatest thing He's ever done, they were in darkness because that's the day God made. And before the light of the world can truly be expressed, He says, I got to make it dark. Because that's where I work. I'm about to do the greatest deed I've ever done and die on a cross. But I do that in darkness. Well, preacher, I thought the resurrection was also part of it. It was. And the Bible says that at the morning dawn, the, the women, and, and they, they come to go embalm the body. But when they get there, he's not there. The soldiers are like statues. The tomb is rolled away. His grave clothes are folded up inside. And it's dawn. Who, who does anything at night? God's like, I always work at night. 
And so when I decided that it was time for me to come back, I'd gotten the keys to death in the grave, and I'd been buried for three days. And he said, okay, it's time for me to come. And they're like, hey, the sun's about to rise. Whoa, 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 whoa. We better hurry up then, boys, because I work in the darkness. This is echoing of what Jacob experienced as he wrestled for his name change. And the angel, was he were wrestling all night long, and he said, let me go for the morning approaches. I won't let you go until you bless me. What do you want? I got to get out of here. The sun's coming. Change my name. And he did. Why was that angel such a, in such a hurry to get out of there? He, Jacob was ready for round two. No. You don't understand. We don't do the day shift. I got to get out of here, McGuire, because I only work in darkness. And so for somebody who's been fighting so hard against the process of God healing you and changing you and touching your home and healing your marriage and healing the scars of you being molested as a child and the anger that you have against your family for letting it happen, you have to understand that he's trying to work if you'll just let him. Because this is the day the Lord made And it starts in darkness. These altars are open for any person that wants to come. I hope I adequately delivered what God gave me. That the day God made starts with a dark, dark day. And that before the sun can come, and before joy can come, and before mercy can come, and before salvation can come, you have to go through the darkness. Because that's the day God made. Is struggling with infertility. Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at gobethesda.com. You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.